This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. It's Zuma Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, (laughs) and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Lone Ranger first appeared in 1933 in a radio show conceived either by WXYZ, Detroit radio station owner George Trendle, or by Fran Stryker, the show's writer. The radio series proved to be a hit and spawned a series of books, an equally popular television show that ran from 49 to 57, comic books, and several movies. In addition, they drew up the following guidelines that embody who and what The Lone Ranger is. For instance, the Lone Ranger was never seen without his mask or some sort of disguise. He was never captured or held for any length of time by lawmen, avoiding his being unmasked. He always used perfect grammar and precise speech devoid of slang. And whenever he was forced to use guns, he never shot to kill, but instead tried to disarm his opponent as painlessly as possible. And here's the important one, too. The Lone Ranger never drank or smoked. The saloon scenes were usually shown as cafes with waiters and food instead of bartenders and liquor. Well, let's see if we can identify some of those traits in the episode, Blue Pebbles. horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver, the Lone Ranger. Thank you. 
Indian companion Tonto, the masked rider of the plains, led the fight for law and order in the early western United States. The stories of his strength and courage, his daring and resourcefulness have come down to us through the generations, and nowhere in the pages of history can one find a greater champion of justice. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the past come the thundering hoofbeats of the great horse Silver. The Lone Ranger rides again. Come on, Silver, there's danger on the trail ahead. The desert sun that streamed into the yard of the territorial prison was molten and glassy. It threw a blinding glare into the eyes of Jeff Thompson, who worked with a group of prisoners repairing a section of broken wall. All right, you jailbirds, get to work. Please, drink of water. Shut up. Got more to do than fetch water for a bunch of cons. Get to work. Jeff didn't ask the prison guard for water. Not that he didn't want it. He would have bartered his soul for a drink. But he knew that asking was useless. Prisons like this were meant to break men, not help them. Even though a man had been convicted on false evidence, that it would take more than livid heat and back-shattering work to break Jeff Thompson. He was a small man of middle age with tight lips that rarely smiled. Cloudy gray eyes screened thoughts that were never spoken. Plans of escape that would someday be fulfilled. Most of these plans hinged on a Colt 45 that was well hidden under the mattress in his cell. Although he didn't know it, at this very moment in the warden's office, a visitor was asking for him. Visitors were the exception, not the rule at the territorial prison. So Jeff was as surprised as the guard who brought the message. Hey, Thompson. Somebody to see in the office. What do you mean? Warden? Ah, somebody from outside. I don't know anything. Warden says for you to come in, so get moving. Right in here. He's waiting for you. Thanks. And don't try any shenanigans, because I'll be right outside the door. Hello, Jeff. Oh, it's you. Aren't you glad to see me? No. First time I ever heard of a prisoner who didn't want to see his lawyer. <laughs> Being a prisoner hasn't changed my mind about you, Huff. Ah, Jeff, there's no call for you to feel that way. I did the best I could for him. The cards were stacked against us, that's all. Fake evidence, perjured witnesses. I did the best I could. What are you doing here, Harvey? What do you want with me? Nothing much. I just happened to run across a newspaper from up north. Thought you might be interested in... What is it? Newspaper from Shale Town, Montana. What? Montana. Hey, let me see it. Can't do that, Jeff. Against prison rules. But I'll read you a little item here on the front page. Go on, read it. It's the Shield Town News. Listen. John P. Cartwright, prominent rancher and mining man of Shield Town, passed away yesterday morning. Cartwright. Dead. Yeah. I figured it would be news you'd like to hear. Does this say any more? Sure. Says the Cartwright estate, consisting principally of rangeland and the gold mine in the Trinity Basin, will undoubtedly pass to Mr. Nathan Black, as there are no Cartwright heirs. So Black is finally going to get what he's been trying to steal for the past 16 years. Now, wait a minute, Jeff. Nate Black has a moral and legal right to the Cartwright place. 
Hasn't he been the old man's range boss and my informant? Black's a crook and you know it. He's my client. That's the same thing. Then, anyway, Nate gets the ranch and the mine because nobody's ever seen hiding her hair the Cartwright kid since he disappeared over 16 years ago. You don't know anything about that, do you? Why should I? No reason. You came down here to talk, Harvey. What is it? No, I just came down. Talk or I'm going back to work. All right. Nate Black figures that someday you'll be getting out of here. <laughs> Not for ten years. And he thought maybe you'd like to come back to uh, Montana. What's the matter? Pay dirt petered out in a cut right mine? He figures I know where the new load is? Well, to tell the truth, that is one of the reasons. The mine has petered out. For the past two months, we haven't panned anything but a lot of blue pebbles. What? Nothing but a lot of worthless blue pebbles, no gold. Oh, if I was only out of here. That's the spirit. We thought you'd feel that way. No, it doesn't do me any good. Oh, yes, it does. Jeff, you're busting out of here tonight. Oh. And but off the guard. You'll open up your cell at midnight. You'll find a rope hanging over the wall where you were working today. How about a getaway? We'll be waiting for you outside the wall. All right. By the way, you don't have a gun, do you? Why, I got... No. No, of course not. The guard will slip you on. Understand? I understand. All right. Time's up. Well, goodbye, Jeff. I'll see you some other time. I'm sure you will, Harvey. At midnight, the door to Jeff Thompson's cell was unlocked from the outside, and a guard pressed a gun into his hand. His own gun, the one he had kept hidden for so long, was now beneath his shirt. As he slunk out a side door of the prison and hurried toward the wall, Jeff was worried. It was all too easy to be real. Yet there was the rope, just as Harvey had promised it. Hand over hand, he climbed the rough stone barricade and poised a moment at the top to catch his breath. Then he jumped into total darkness. Jeff, Jeff. Right here, Harvey. There he is, guard. Right that open space. He's got them together. Who are you? Fuck him. He's an escaped prisoner. I'm in him. Jeff turned quickly, gun in hand. He pressed the trigger. In a flash, he realized the frame-up. They had purposely given him an empty gun. He reached for his own pistol. The one he knew was loaded. Plug him before he gets away. Yeah. No, you won't. Oh. I have got to get Reach, Harvey. Or I'll blow that lion head of yours into a million pieces. Yeah, listen, Jeff. Shut Harvey. up. You double-crossing scum. So the idea was to blast me, huh? You don't understand, Jeff. I understand that Nathan Black must be mighty scared of me or what I know. How much did he pay you to frame this killer? Uh, Black, How much? Hundred dollars. Give it to me. Yeah. Right, now give it back to Black. In lead. Jeff, I've always And here's it. your share. I should kill you. But I've got more important things to do. Not far from the walls of the territorial prison, two men were seated on their haunches beside an open campfire. One of them was tall and lean. He wore a black mask. The other was a grave-faced Indian. The Lone Ranger spoke to Tonto. That sounded like gunfire a few minutes ago. Ah. As soon as we finish supper, First we'll go... First the moves will get his spine split with a bullet. He's behind us, Tonto. Don't move. Ah. That's good advice, stranger. Now stand up, both of you. Yes? Put your hands in the air and turn around. We haven't much choice. Mask man or Injun. Outlaws, eh? What do you think? Well, I guess I'm in the right company. I just busted out of prison. I guessed as much. But I'm not in the prod. 
And the reason I made the break was to stop a gang of crooks from cheating an innocent kid. Well, if you'll tell me what Keep you... Keep him up. Don't drop your hands. All right. What do you want? All I need from you two hombres is a good horse. One that can travel fast. We only have two horses. One's enough for me. I'll ride the paint over there. That's strange. I never take you for a horse thief. I'm not stealing your cayuse. Just borrowing it. I'll ride Lee's winded and then pick up another one. Do you mind telling us which way you're heading? No, I guess I'd better take them shooting irons of yours, too, just to play safe. Throw them down, kick them over this way. Careful now, no tricks. That's better. I'm not going to keep them. You'll find them in the saddlebags in the paint. Call your cayuse over here. Call him, Tata. Uh-huh. Here, Scout. Right smart-looking pony. Well, gents, I'm mighty grateful to you. If you happen to mosey along my trail, you might find this critter along about sunup. Get up, horse. Get up, man. Get up. We ride, Silver. Catch Crook. Yes, Tonto. Here, Silver. Easy, big fella. Unless I'm mistaken, there's more than one crook to be caught. Uh, be ready. Come on, Silver. The Lone Ranger and Tonto riding double on silver trailed Jeff Thompson, the outlaw. About an hour after sunrise, they reached the outskirts of a small town. Tonto was the first to sight what they were looking for. There's Scout. Him wait. All right, Tonto. Oh, silver. Whoa, boy, whoa. Huh. Scout plenty tired. That hard right? They're both tired, Tonto. We'll stop here for a few hours and hit the trail again. Huh. Kimasabi. Yeah? Look, leave guns. They hear him saddlebag. Yes, he kept his promise. That's what puzzles me, Tonto. We're going to follow him no matter how far north he goes. It was almost a week later that Jeff Thompson rode into the corral on a small ranch in northern Wyoming. Whoa, whoa, boy, whoa there. He was dead tired from many hours in the trail, but his eyes brightened when he saw a tall young cowpuncher hurrying toward the corral to greet him. Pa, oh, oh, where'd you come from? <laughs> South. Down the territory. Pa, I had a letter from you. He said you'd gone to South America or someplace like that. You might be gone a long time. Yes, son, I know. That wasn't the truth. Not the... What do you mean? Anybody in the bunkhouse? Well, no, well, let's but... go in there, hmm? I've got a lot of things to tell you. Well, what is it, Pa? Well, to start with, Tommy... I want to tell you a story about an old cowpoke who was working on a spread up in Montana about 16 years ago. Well, who was he? I'll get to that. This fellow wasn't very smart. Oh, he knew plenty about cattle and mining, but not much about human nature. Well, I don't understand, Pa. One day he had a fight with his boss. So for revenge, he kidnapped the boss's motherless kid and hightailed it. Kidnapped a baby? Yeah. Well, who was this man, Pa? Me. You mean you're... I sure ain't proud of what I've done. The scheme kind of backfired on me anyway. I thought I was hurting my ex-boss. But right from the first, I raised the kid and... the little jigger kind of got a hold of my heart. He called me Pa. I called him son. Well, but I'm the only... You... You mean I'm that kid? Yes, son. You're that kid. Well, I'm... Who's my real father? Your real pa's dead, Tommy. Died last week on his ranch in Montana. What was his name? 
Cartwright. John Cartwright. That's your right name, too. Oh, I don't care about that. You're the only paw I've ever known. I don't want to change. You don't understand, Tommy. I've been in territorial prison down south. I busted out as soon as I heard that Cartwright was dead. There's a ranch and a played-out gold mine in Montana that are rightfully yours. Oh, I don't want them. I'd rather be with you. But, Tommy, the only reason I broke out of jail was to square things with you. You've got to go up there and claim what's yours. You see, I know something about that Cartwright mine that nobody hey, listen, else... listen. Somebody's coming. Must be that mask outlaw and engine. They've been trailing me for days. Who are they? I don't know. But I do know nobody's going to stop me from taking you back to Montana. What do we do? Just keep quiet. They'll see my horse outside and they'll come in here. The minute they open the door, I'll start to blast with lead. No, Pa, that's be quiet. I started this show, and I'm going to finish it. Oh, who's going to scout? Don't come up. Don't come up. here. He's nowhere in sight. Let's try the bunkhouse. Uh, me wait? No, Tonto. I think we've finally reached the end of the trail. Come on. The curtain falls on the first act of our Lone Ranger drama. Before the next exciting scenes, please permit us to pause for just a few moments. Continue our story. Unaware that Jeff Thompson was waiting inside the bunkhouse with leveled guns, the Lone Ranger and Tonto walked quickly toward the door. This is the only place he can be. Uh. Oh, wait a minute, Tonto. We don't know what's behind this door. It's best to play safe. Uh. Down on our knees. I'll uh. push the door in. Yeah. Keep your gun ready. My Keep them covered, Tonto. Let me do it. You were trying to kill me, so you shot too high. How did I know you'd come crawling into your hands and knees? You didn't know. That's why you failed. What do you want? I think I'm the one to ask questions. This man held us up, stole one of our horses. I didn't and then... steal. I left your horse where you could find it. Very true. But you escaped from territorial prison. Are you a lawman? No. Then what do you care? You also tried to kill me just now. That is my business. Look here, stranger. I ain't You're going to, going to talk and talk fast. All right. I'll tell you what it's all about. My name is Jeff Thompson. The boy here is Tommy. Tommy Cartwright. So, if what you say is the truth, all you want to do is prove that Tommy here is the legal heir to his father's mine and ranch. Yeah. If I could do that, I'd be willing to go back to the territory and spend the rest of my life there. How can you prove what you say? It won't be easy. Nate Black is a tough hombre, and so is that shyster Harvey. Well, uh, that depends on how we handle it. We? You, you mean, stranger, you'll help on me? Come on, saddle your horses. We're all heading for Montana. vast spread of Trinity Basin wasn't considered good grazing land. It was made up mainly of broken country, crisscrossing coolies and rocky draws. Many years before, John Cartwright had homesteaded the upper part of it and tried to raise cattle. This hadn't been very successful, so he began placer mining for gold up near Jubilee Peak, 
But that venture, too, seemed doomed to failure because everyone knew that long before the old man died, he had ceased to pan any pay dirt from the Cartwright mine. Nathan Black, who had apparently inherited the property, was convinced there was a secret ore vein someplace on the claim. The problem now was to find it. All right, Harvey. Fetch another bucket of that sand and limestone. We'll run it through the rocker. Yeah, you don't seem to be getting any place, Nate. We've washed almost a ton of this stuff. Another speck of gold so far. Double in here and shut up. Oh, grab a hold. Help me lift this thing into the creek. I can't understand it. This stuff looks good, but it don't pan out. It's no good, Nate. There's no gold within 100 miles of this place. There's got to be. Cartwright took it out of here. That was a long time ago. Now it's played out. Can't be. The old coot wouldn't have been so worried about the place if it was worthless. See? Look at what's left. Nothing but a mess of blue pebbles. I tell you, Nate... Shut up. You can't tell me anything. You haven't done your part of this job yet. What do you mean? And hombre Jeff Thompson's got the Cartwright kid staked out someplace. I don't believe it. Well, I do. So you were going to have Thompson killed so he couldn't get to the kid. I did, Fred. All you the... did was make it easy for him to get out of prison. Oh, and right I... now it's ten to one he's on the prod, headed this way. Jeff Thompson can't do anything. He did plenty to you, unless you're lying. Well, suppose the Cartwright kid is alive. He can't prove it. He could come into Shale Town and raise an awful ruckus because I inherited this property. You've got a ranch, ain't you? What do you care about this plate out placer mine? It ain't worth a powder to blow it up. There's gold here someplace. And I'm going to keep on panning till I find it. You're loco. There's nothing in this pit but some blue gravel. Listen, Harvey, I'll do the mining and you the law work. Which is more than you've done so far. Now, Shut up, I'm tired of listening to alibis. Come on up to the shack. It's getting too dark to wash any more sand. There's no use talking like that, mate. Stop beefing. Let's go up to the shack. A few moments later, four horsemen rode through the fur-fringed jaws of Jubilee Pass. The Lone Ranger was in the lead. Jeff and Tommy followed, and Tonto brought up the rear. It was a bright moonlit night. Every rock and crag of the rugged country was outlined sharply against the flat valley that lay below. The masked man reined up suddenly and called a halt. Well, is this the place, Jeff? Yep, this is it. How far is Shale Town? About 20 miles, but the Cartwright Ranch is right below us, and the mine is just across that big ravine. Where'll we find this Nathan Black? The ranch, most likely. But uh, I'd like to stop by the mine first. I want to tell Tommy a few things about it. All right, lead the way. Get up, get up, get up, get up. riders threaded their way through a rock-strewn ravine. At its upper end, they reached a small creek that seemed to come tumbling out of nowhere. In single file, they headed upstream until they broke into a level clearing that was bounded on the far side by a deep chasm. Jeff Thompson brought his pony to a halt. He dismounted quickly, and the others followed suit. That's it, right over there. What? The mine, come on. See, this is it. Why, it's nothing but an open pit. Placer mine, Tommy. Apparently somebody's been working it. There's a sluice box and rocker in the creek. Nate. I bet Nate Black's been up here, and Harvey, too. You ever got over that punch in the jaw I gave him? Is this all there is to the mine? Aren't there any buildings? Tool shack right across the canyon there. Across the canyon? How do you get over there? When Cartwright first staked this claim, I was working for him. He couldn't build a tool shed here because the creek floods over every spring. 
So he put it over there and swung a cable across. How does it work? Block and tackle in a bucket. Does, does all this really belong to me, Pa? Sure does, Tommy. We'll go into Shale Town and see old Judge Barnes. He drew up your dad's will. Judge will recognize you. He knew your pa well. How much gold has been taken out of here, Thompson? Oh, not very much. I'd make a bet there hasn't been more than $200 panned here in the last five years. 200 You broke jail, stole horses, tried to kill me and risked your life to get here? That doesn't make sense. There's something about this mine that I haven't told anybody. It's a secret only me and old John Cartwright knew about. What is it, Pa? Well, come over here to the sluice box. Hey, look at this box. A little bit different than most of them, you see. I don't understand. Hey, look down to the end. Those are iron riffles instead of water, zinc. Well, what's that mean? Well, it means that it's... That's from the other side. The tool shed, Black. Nate Black. You better keep down. I've come from pass. Is there any other way off this clearing? Just the cable and the pass we came in. And those are both covered. They're shooting over our heads now, but if they drop their fire, we're trapped. Not as long as I can sling any lead with this 45. Wait, wait. You'll only show them exactly where we are. Those low-down sidewinders are... Don't raise up. They're in that shack across the canyon. They can see every move you make. But I'm not going to stand it. Oh, Pa! Pa! Lie still, Tommy. You'll make the same mistake he did. Tommy. Yeah, Pa? I... I think that one had my number on it, son. Oh, no. You'll be all right, Pa. We'll whip those poor cats and get you down to a doctor in Shelltown. That won't last that long. But I want to tell you something, Tommy. Listen to me. What is it, Pa? The mine. Yeah? It's yours. Don't let Black cheat you. I'll get it, Pa. And, and Tommy, I don't know who this masked man is, but I know he's square. Trust him. Uh, I will. One, one more thing, Tommy. Yeah? <laughs> call me, call me Pa again. Will you, son? <laughs> yeah, my Pa. Best Pa in the world. Thanks, son. That's worth anything it ever cost me. Pa! Pa! He's gone. Yes. It's tough, Tommy. What we've got to do now is save ourselves. We can. There's only one chance. I can get across that canyon. I can come up behind the tool shack. You heard what Pa said. The cable's the only way across. No, it isn't. You wait here with Tato. Lie flat. What are you going to do? Ask my horse, Silver, to do the impossible. Oh, wait here. Masked man bent low and ran zigzag fashion across the open clearing. Flying lead missed him by inches. He finally reached the large rock behind which Silver was waiting. He mounted the white stallion quickly and spoke in a low tone of voice. Easy. Silver. Rather, it's up to you. That's a 20-foot jump across the gorge. Can we make it? All right, big fella. Here we go. Come on, Silver. Like a bolt of silver lightning, the powerful white stallion shot from behind a protecting rock and raced across the clearing to the edge of the canyon. His ears seemed to flatten back for just an instant as though to hear the Lone Ranger's urgent cry that would send him across the gaping canyon. Now, Silver, jump! The moment the stallion's feet touched the earth, the Lone Ranger shouted his admiration. Good work, big boy. I knew you'd do it. Now over to the right, back of that tool shed. Oh, Silver, oh! Throw up your hand, both of you. Thank you, Mr. No, you won't. Stand where you are. He's wearing a mask. March over to that cable car. We're going over to the mine. Are you kidding? Go on. Get moving.
few moments later, the prisoners were bound hand and foot. Have you tied them well, Tonto? Uh, me time plenty good. And I'll ride into Shale Town and get the sheriff. Uh, you and Tommy take care of Jeff. And wait here. Yeah. The one thing I can't figure out. What is it, Tommy? My pa, the man I thought was my pa, well, he died trying to protect a gold mine. It looks like it was played out. What's a gold mine without gold? I think I know the answer, Tommy. Come over here. Jeff tried to tell us about this, but he didn't get a chance. Look at this sluice box. See the tiny bits of blue gravel stuck to the bottom of it? Sure, but those hunks of blue gravel aren't gold. You're right. They're far more precious than gold. Those little bits of blue gravel, Tommy, are sapphires. You've inherited a sapphire mine. Now, I'll bet that's something Nathan Black and his partner didn't know. Well, I'll be I've darned. I've got to go now and get the sheriff. You wait here with Tonto. Well, sure, but... I won't be long. Tommy watched the masked man walk quickly to the cable car and swing across the canyon. He saw him beckon to his horse and mount. Say, who is that fellow anyway? Uh, 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 that not just feller, that lone ranger. just heard is a copyrighted feature of the Lone Ranger Incorporated. Stay tuned for The Great Gildersleeve next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> Each week at this time, Kraft presents from Hollywood, California, Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levin.
And now let's visit our friend, the great Gildersleeve. Uh, Leroy? Yes, Uncle Mort? Uh, come in here a minute, will you? I want to... Say, how did you get that scratch on your nose? And by George, your shirt's all torn, too. What's happened to you? Oh, I had a slight argument with a friend of mine. A slight argument with a friend, eh? I'd hate to see you after a big fight with a stranger. Where did you two argue? Inside a cement mixer? Nope. All the way from our backyard to Georgie Beasley's front steps. Uh, It was a sort of a running argument. Yes. Now, Leroy, I disapprove of you holding knuckle debates with your little chums. But, gee, Uncle Mort, you should have heard what Georgie said. No matter what he said, it wasn't the friendly thing to do. Well, if you'd have heard, you'd understand why I had to bop him on the smeller. Bop him on the smeller? Leroy, where do you pick up that kind of language? From you. Uh, (laughs) Remember Wednesday when you almost ran into that truck? That truck almost ran into me, young man. And besides, I don't recall using those words. It was just after the truck driver told you to go... Leroy, never mind. (laughs) Let's get back to you. Young man, you must realize that you can't keep friendships by indulging in pugilistic altercations. What's that? Poking people in the puss. Well, who wants to be friends with old Georgie Beasley anyhow? Now, now, Leroy, friends are more precious than gold or diamonds. What would a man have if he didn't have any friends? Gold or diamonds? That's right. No! (laughs) Leroy, I want you to go over to Georgie Beasley's house and apologize. Not right now. His big brother is home. Oh. Besides, I'm not going to shake hands with him after what he said about you. Come, come. Remember, sticks and stones may break. About me? What did he say? Well, I I don't like to repeat it. But I want to know. You'd only get angry. Besides, your head isn't any fatter than anybody else's. (laughs) So he called me a fathead, did he? Yeah, how'd you find out? Wait till I tell his mother about this. Oh, you won't have to do that, Uncle Mort. He was just repeating what she said. Oh. (laughs) Let's drop the subject, Leroy. Only remember one thing. Friends are wonderful things to have. Because when you're over your head in debt, a friend won't let you down. And when you're up to your ears in trouble, a friend won't let you down. And when you find out you're on a limb... A friend won't let you down then either. (laughs) Yes. Say, that reminds me. I've been meaning to look up an old friend from back home ever since I came to Summerfield. Does he live here? Yes, fellow named Charlie Dapple. I'll get in touch with him right now. Hand me the phone book, will you please? Sure. Yeah, thanks. Ah, great chap, Charlie. I remember when I was first struggling to get into the girdle business. It was Charlie who helped me. To get into girdles? No, young man. And yes, yes, he owned Dapple's department store at the time. He snapped up the first ten dozen I made. <laughs> yes, he had a stretcher point to do it, too. <laughs> Did that help you? Yes, sir. It pulled me out of a mighty tight squeeze. Uh, let me see. Uh, Daniels, Danner, Dante. Here we are. Dapple, Charles, 147 Olive Street, Pimento, 4733. That'll be good to see good old Charlie Dapple again after all these years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh. Hello. Hello. Uh, could I speak to Charlie Dapple, please? Uh, well, he isn't home now. This is Mrs. Dapple. Uh, Mrs. Dapple. Well, don't tell me that good old Charlie's married after all these years. Congratulations, Mrs. Dapple. You're a mighty lucky woman. Thank you. That's what Charlie keeps saying. Uh. Uh, who is this? <laughs> uh, what was that? Who is this? Uh, well, when did the big event take place? Three years ago, Labor Day. Who is this? Well, well, good old Charlie married on Labor Day. <laughs> Say, I'll bet you're a redhead. No, I'm a brunette. What made you think I was a redhead? Well, you know how Charlie always went... No, I guess you don't. <laughs> Maybe not, but I 
I will. Yeah. Who is this? Oh, it's an old friend from back home, Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. Uh, doesn't that name mean anything to you? No. Oh, but surely he's told you about the times we used to have together. Didn't he ever talk about Atlantic City? No. What about Atlantic City? Well, it's uh, it's in New Jersey. <laughs> well, uh, he'll be home any minute, and I'll ask him all about it. Oh, no, no. Let's uh, make it a surprise. Make what a surprise? Well, I'm going to drop over for a visit. Oh, but really, Mr. Now, come, come, Mrs. Dapple. I haven't seen your husband for five years. Let's see, you live at four, uh, 147 Olive, eh? Yes, it's an apartment house. The Venus de Milo Arms. If. <laughs> well, uh, I think I can find it. I'll drop in in half an hour. Oh, but I, I don't know if you should come today, Mr. Silvercoat. Uh, Gildersleeve's the name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, don't fix anything special for me. Uh, just think of me as one of the family. Goodbye. Uh, this is going to be fun surprising Charlie. He loves surprises. I'll never forget the night he sneaked a lot of his wax dummies into my office to scare me the next morning. And did it? It would have if our night watchman hadn't shot six of them. <laughs> he claimed they pulled a knife on him. <laughs> Mr. Dapple sounds like a keen guy. He is, Leroy. Good old Charlie. Come along and meet him. Oh, but I wanted to go to a movie. We can go afterwards. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Mrs. Dapple? Yes. Well, well. Charlie certainly picked himself a lovely little bride. What? Oh, oh, you must be the man who phoned Mr. Silversleeve. Uh, Gildersleeve. Uh, by the way, is my old sidekick home yet? Well, no, and I've been expecting him for an hour. All right, Uncle, let's go to that movie. Uh, come back here, young man. Uh, Mrs. Dapple, this is my nephew, Leroy. Oh, how do you do? How do you well, do? come right in. Uh, thank you. Oh, now, don't look at this room. It's a mess. Oh, no, it just has that lived-in look. <laughs> yeah. Well, Charlie should be home any minute now. Mm-hmm. On Saturday afternoons, he usually stops at several places on the way home. Uh, uh, to get the football scores, you know. Yes, I know how it is. No, not a baby. Uh, mind if we look? Oh, no. Come on, Leroy, don't you want to see the baby? No, I just want to see the movie. Okay, young man, no baby, no movie. Let's see the baby. Yeah. That's better. Well, well, Mrs. Dapple. What a handsome, husky child. What's his name, Charlie? No, Gertrude. Oh, pardon me, Gertrude. <laughs> Ooh, zitty bitty babum's a zoo. <laughs> oh, dear, you frightened her. Maybe it's her face, Uncle Mort. Uh, nonsense, Leroy. Babies just love my face. Oh, now, now, Mother's little angel cake. Shush. Yeah. Shush. I know it'll quiet her, Mrs. Dapple. It's one trick that always works. I got it right here in my pocket. Gee, Uncle, are you carrying around a bottle of milk? <laughs> no. It's my watch, Leroy. Yeah. Now listen, little cupcake. You hear the tick tick? Oh, isn't that cute? She's holding it to her ear. Yes. There's nothing like a piece of jewelry to stop a girl from crying. <laughs> Dear me, the phone again. Uh, now, phone? let go of the gentleman's watch, darling, so I can put you down. No, not Mother's Lamb. Let go. Oh, dear, she won't let go. Well, you'll just have to hold him, Mr. Gildersleeve, while I take that call. Uh, but, but, but it's been years since I held a baby that young. Oh, no, no. Don't you be afraid. Huh? Once you've learned, you never forget. It's like swimming. Uh, swimming, I'll bet it is. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Here. 
Hold, Gertrude, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, well, all right. Take it easy, Gertrude. Uh, well, jiggly, isn't she? <laughs> Whoa, now. I'll be back in just a minute. Uh, you better come back now. She's getting restless. Now, see here, Gertrude. <laughs> oh, I was just kidding. Uh, relax. Kitchy, kitchy, goo. Kitchy, kitchy, goo. Gee, Uncle Mort, I never knew you could take care of babies. I can't. Uh, Leroy, would you like to hold little Gertie a while? Not me. Come on, let's ditch her and go see Hopalong Cassidy. Yep, wait a minute. I can't get my watch and chain away from her. And now, Gertrude, you've had your little fun, so let loose. Uh, no use trying to force her, Unc. Huh? She'll get tired of it pretty soon and just drop the whole thing. That's what I'm afraid of. I see. If she drops the watch, you get the works. <laughs> Leroy, don't poke fun. Now, now, Gertie, let go of Uncle Throckmorton's 21-jule nasty go watch. <laughs> yeah, that's a good girl. You see, Leroy, I got it back. Oh, now she's got a hold of my hair. Let go, Mother's Little Devil's Food Cake. Say, she certainly is a cute kid. Leroy, don't stand there. Do something. Well, if I could find a pair of scissors, I could cut off that hunk of hair she's holding. No! Ouch! Gertrude, unhand my hair. Say, she likes you. Yeah, she's practically drooling over me. Well, really, Mr. Gildersleeve, what are you doing to that baby? Adam, you better ask the baby what she's doing to me. Oh, oh, now, now, let go of the man's hair, darling. There. Uh, thanks. Oh, my scalp. Feels like I just lost a decision to sitting bull. Now you just lie in your blanket like a good little girl while Mama runs down to the gas company. Yes. Now? Yes, or else I don't know what we'll ever do over the weekend. Charlie was supposed to attend to it. But, but you're not going to leave us alone here with, with Gertrude. Oh, she won't give you any trouble, will you, sweetheart? <laughs> See? Yes. Well, Charlie will probably be here before I return. Oh, and in case he isn't, uh, just heat the baby's bottle in ten minutes. Uh, ten minutes? Uh, take the roast out of the oven in a quarter of an hour. Uh, take the roast. Then light a fire under the soup. The fire the soup. And if a COD package comes, it's all right to pay for it. But, but I... And if it gets any cooler, phone down to the janitor for more heat. Huh? Bye. Light a fire under the janitor. <laughs> Put the COD in the oven. Phone down for the baby's bottle. Oh, my... Which way it folds. After all, I used to be a baby myself. Yeah, now don't get fidgety, Gertie. Remember, Rome wasn't built in a day. Careful with that safety pin, Uncle Mort. Oh, my. Why don't these things come with zippers? Yes, yes, Mother's little leg of lamb. You better hurry up, Uncle Mort. Gertrude's getting restless. And cold, too. That's well. It's her own fault. She keeps kicking it off. Well, if you can't pin it, why don't you just leave it off altogether? No, Leroy. We've got to pin Gertrude down some way with this blanket. Ah. There we are. I wonder what makes her do that. Maybe she's just bored with everything. When she isn't yelling, she's yawning. Well, that's because she should be sleeping, Leroy. Possibly if I told her some little anecdote, that might put her to sleep. It always works at the Rotary Club. <laughs> singing her to sleep. That's a fine idea. 
Friends have told me my voice reminds them of a meadowlark singing bass. Okay, Unc, make for the lullabies. All right. Uh, what would you think of a sleep in the deep? You know. Many brave hearts are asleep in the deep. <laughs> Too deep. <laughs> How about Rockabye Baby? That's it. Go ahead, Uncle Mort. All right, let me see. I think it goes, uh, Rockabye Baby in the treetop. <laughs> yeah. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. I can't remember how the rest goes. Now will come, baby, cradle and all. Yeah, that's it. Rockabye Gertrude on the treetop. She's going to sleep, so you better not stop. When the bow breaks, the cradle goes lower. You're doing swell, Unc. Sing it once more. <laughs> Rockabye, baby, let's go, Leroy. She's closing her eyes, so let's tiptoe into the other room, my boy. Let's wait here till both eyes she shuts. Look out for that pen! <laughs> oh, nuts! <laughs> Rock my baby! Oh, what's the use? I have been singing till my tonsils are loose. You better give up, Unc. Whatever it is that kid wants, it ain't a meadowlark that sings bass. Yeah. I'm afraid you're right, Leroy. Gee, if this takes much longer, we won't see those two pictures before dinner. Leroy, if this takes much longer, we won't even see dinner. I better call home and tell your sister we'll be late. Hand me that telephone. Yeah, I did. Are you playing nursemaid to a baby? Fine thing. Hello? Oh, hello, Marjorie. It looks like Leroy and I will be a little late for dinner tonight, my dear. We stopped in to see an old friend. Who's that? Your old friend? Uh, no, it's Gertrude. She's just a baby. Yes. Leroy and I are taking care of her. For Mrs. Dapple. She's out taking care of the gas. Yes, and we're even taking care of the cooking. Oh, you, Uncle Moore, taking care of the cooking? Yes. I was supposed to take the roast out of the oven and put the soup on the fire. But I had to put the soup in the oven because the roast was on fire. <laughs> oh, poor Uncle Moore. Yeah. Have you been having much trouble with the baby? Well, I've been singing Rockabye Baby to her, but something tells me she'd prefer there'll be some changes made. <laughs> I think I'd better come over and help you. That's a marvelous idea. And bring Bertie, Marjorie, and maybe she can patch up the dinner I've ruined. <laughs> All right. Oh, I think I know what's wrong with that baby. It's probably hungry. Yeah, hungry? Say, I never thought of that. Uh, let me have a look. Oh, my goodness, that's what it must be. Marjorie, hurry over quickly. What's wrong? Gertrude's so hungry, she's trying to swallow her foot. <laughs> Have you got that all 
straight now. I think so, Mrs. Dapple. We're to shut off the gas at 147 hour this afternoon mm-hmm. and turn it on at 3214 Winslow. Is that right? Correct. We're moving away from the Olive Street apartment tonight, and I don't want any slip-up. Oh, there won't be. Oh, now, uh, can I change my light and water here, too? No, the light and water company's down at 10th and Spring Street. Oh, dear. Well, that'll take me an hour. I left someone with my baby, and I promised to be right back. Oh, well, they'll just have to wait. Really, Marjorie, the way you've handled that baby is a revelation to me. <laughs> yeah, you're certainly tidy with a dighty. Yes. <laughs> Where did you ever learn all that, my dear? Oh, I took child psychology in school. Yes, but Gertrude didn't. How did you ever two get together? Oh, it was easy. In dealing with hysteria and psychoneurosis in the field of speculative philosophy relating to the young, the prime factor was a thorough understanding of the mental and nervous processes of the infant mind. Simple, isn't it? Uh, either it is or I am. <laughs> uh, say, Leroy, how's Bertie doing? Oh, Bertie, how's everything? Considering what, Bertie? The cupboards. Why, what's wrong with the cupboards here, Bertie? Well, from the looks of them, these folks seem to have a mighty fine assortment of nothing. Uh, nothing? What do you mean? Make yourself plain. Okay, I'll speak plain, but it's going to sound ugly. Uh, these folks have got just about enough food in their kitchen for one meal. Uh, do you mean that Mrs. Dapple's cupboard is empty? <laughs> Man, that cupboard couldn't be any better than if that lady's name was Hubbard. Oh, <laughs> Well, this is terrible. I I never dreamed for a moment they were destitute. What are we going to do, Uncle Moore? Don't worry. I'll fix things up, Marjorie. Uh, Bertie, take this $10 bill down to the nearest store and buy a lot of groceries. Yes, sir. Better make out a list. Yes. Some canned goods. Oh, Uncle Moore. That's terribly sweet of you. And some sugar. Oh, it's nothing, my dear. I get a lump in my throat. Lump sugar? (laughs) And a sinking feeling in my heart. Baking soda. When I think of what's ahead. Ahead of cabbage? Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. It brings the tears to my eyes. And onions. <laughs> I suppose they just gradually got into debt and couldn't... Catch up. That's it. They couldn't catch up. <laughs> uh, Bertie, are you still here? You better get going. Take Leroy along to help you carry the bundle. Okay, right, boy. Hurry out the back way. I'll bet that's my old pal now. And will I clap hands if here comes Charlie. Now, see here, Dapple. We've exhausted our patience with you. Why do you ignore our letters? Why do you hang up when we telephone? Why don't you be a man and make your payments on that piano like you promised? No, see here, mister. I'm not dappled. But by George, if I was and you used that phone, I'd cuff you around till you'd crawl back into the woodwork. Oh, yeah? Well, if you're not dappled, what do you care how I talk to him, you, you big blimp? Huh? <laughs> He's my friend, and you can't abuse an absent friend in my presence. Especially if he isn't here. Not so loud. Huh? Oh, that's right. Not so loud, mister. If you want to fight, just step inside. Okay. But this time when I leave, I'm taking that piano with me. Over my dead body. That makes it even more attractive. Oh. <laughs> One more crack like that, and I'll shove that swollen zither down your noisy throat. Now you take your hat off and state your business before I forget my manners and bop you on the smeller. Now, take it easy, Tubsy. Whoop! <laughs> my name is Baxter of the Summerfield Washing Machine and Piano Company. Now, this fellow Dapple has been buying this piano from us on the installment plan. Only he ain't kept up his payments. Well, I happen to know that Mr. Dapple has been up against it pretty badly lately. Uh, couldn't you just uh, kind of forget the payments this month? Forget it? How can I? I've got a memory like an elephant. Yeah, and a hide like one, too. <laughs> All right, then. How much is the payment? I'll give it to you myself. Oh, no, you won't. 
According to our contract, once a payment is defaulted, the entire remaining balance becomes automatically due. Oh, my goodness. How much does he still owe on it? Now, let's see. I've got it right here. It's uh, $74. $74 more? Why, that mahogany monstrosity over there was never worth that in the first place. Either I get the money or else the piano. Yes. I think you mean it. Well, Charlie Dapple helped me up when I was getting started, so I can't let him down when he's just about finished. I'll write you a check for the $74. Let's see. That'll leave me with a balance of... Uh, 28 cents. Yeah, now there's somebody at the back door. I better go see. I'm coming, you blasted woodpecker. Excuse me, I'm the gas man. Don't want any. I got enough gas. I come to shut it off. Shut it off? Didn't Mrs. Dapple call at your office this afternoon, probably to pay the bill? Look, brother, I'm a guy who sticks strictly to his own job. Yeah. I got an order saying turn off gas at Dapple Apartment 147 Olive Street. And that's what I'm going to do, brother. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let's not be too hasty about this, uh, brother. Uh, suppose I pay the bill to you right now. No, no, I ain't allowed to take no money. Uh, you don't understand, brother. I'm just the guy who gets orders to turn gas on and to turn it off. Yeah. Then I go where it says and I turn gas on or else I turn it off. <laughs> That's all I do. Oh. Sounds mighty monotonous. I like being monotonous. Yes. Uh, look here, uh, brother. Uh, by the way, what's your name? Uh, uh, Herman Peebles. Uh, Herman Peebles. Uh, look here, Herbie. Uh, Peebles live here, too. Uh, simple Peebles. The kindly Peebles. The salt of the earth. Uh, things have been a little tough for them lately. Uh, and there's another mouth to feed, too. You mean... Yes, that's what I mean. A tiny baby named uh, Little Gertrude. You think what it would mean to poor Little Gertrude if she didn't have any gas. <laughs> no hot milk, uh, no hot water, no hot air. That's tough. Yes. Winter is approaching too, Herbie. Need I say more? No, no. Don't worry, mister. I'm not going to shut off the gas here today. Uh, you're not? No, I... Just can't. Well, I'm certainly, certainly glad I convinced you. Wasn't you, mister. Just remembered I left my tools at the office. <laughs> Say, Unc, when are we going to that movie? Just as soon as the dapple shows its nose through that door. I done cooked this rib roast so long it's done shrunk down to the size of a lamb chop. Yeah. Well, personally, I wouldn't mind staying all evening, only I've got a previous engagement. It's them. I'll get the door. We come for the furniture. To take it away. This is the last straw. Don't let them do this to little Gertrude, Uncle. You're right, Leroy. You men can't do this to a poor little helpless baby. We ain't doing nothing to no baby. Take the other end of this sofa, Terry. I got it. Now, get out of the way, mister. Why, George, they're not going to get away with this. Uncle, put down that vase. <laughs> I was just trying to help the men out there. Don't do us no favors. We'll help ourselves out. Careful coming out that door, Terry. Okay. Uh, quickly, Roy, lock the door. Now we've got to figure out some way to prevent them from stripping the apartment. Mr. Gillsleeve, huh? a lady just come in the back way and says she's Miss Dapple. Here she comes now. Oh, at last. <laughs> oh, thank you ever so much, Mr. Gildekoff. Yes. That's all right. Where's Charlie? Well, I can't imagine. Unless he's... Oh, of course. Huh? This was his Saturday to work late at the office. But he'll be here any minute now. Uh, that is, if he comes straight home. He better come straight home. There are a couple of men roaming around trying to repossess your furniture. 
repossess our furniture? Well, I can't imagine... Oh, why, you must mean the moving men. Yeah, they're moving men. They're trying to move everything you got right out of here. Well, of course. We're moving over to Winslow Avenue today. Oh, my goodness. How can Charlie do this to me? And what about the piano? The collector tried to take it away, but I stopped him. Well, you should have let him have it. Huh? We just played it to break our lease here. It's your lease in my pocketbook, madam. Well, we better hurry up and get ready to leave. Oh, uh, did the men come to turn off the gas? Yeah, and you should have seen them turn on the tears. Yes, oh, yeah. Oh, there's my husband now. Yes? There's something about the way he knocks that I can always recognize. Oh, at last. Hey, Mrs. Dapple, I've been waiting for this moment all afternoon. Do you mind if I hide in the dining room and then when good old Charlie comes in, I'll jump out and yell surprise? Please, that's all I have left. Well, that'll be cute. Uh, all right, go right ahead. Uh, Leroy, Marjorie, uh, Bertie, I want you to get in on this. Okay. Come on, let's hide. Hello, Charlie, darling. Oh, yes, sweetheart. What's the idea of keeping the door locked? Well, I don't know. In fact, I don't know half of what's been going on around here. But come into the living room, dear. There's a little surprise for you. Surprise? What do you mean? Where's the surprise? Oh, boy. Surprise, Charlie. Surprise. Yeah. Where's Charlie? I'm Charlie. Who in thunder are you? Oh, my goodness. Gee, Uncle, what's the matter? It's that man. I never saw him before. He's the wrong Charlie Dapple. second till I find my key, children. Oh, I'm tired. Yes. Hey, somebody put a note under the door. It's for you, Uncle Moore. Well, no, eh? I wonder who it's from. Uh, dear pal Throcky, George Fiddy just told me you were in town, so I dropped over to see you. Sorry I missed you. Your old pal and sidekick, Charlie Dapple. Uh, good night. <laughs> <laughs> Original music heard on this program was composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to be with us again next week at this same time for the further adventures of the great Gildersleeve. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dragnet, followed by the Aldridge family. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. Happy birthday to you. Hey, Bye. where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air. 
and The Garden Show.